much anyone who studies with me for any length, that's what they start out with, is a daily movement practice. And it doesn't have to uh, be necessarily nonlinear. And what you focus on is what we did the very first day, moving what you're feeling. So whatever comes up, you move. And um, there's lots of benefits to that, one of which is that on a daily basis, you're connecting with what's actually happening inside your body. And as you do that, you become um, aware, more aware of your internal process and how it you know, works itself out. It also allows the body to kind of, um, you know, metabolize or compost you know, what's happening inside. And that's very valuable because you'll probably notice, some of you at least, that when um, you do that, a lot of stuff gets churned up, but it leaves, right? And that's the whole idea is that you want things to leave. You don't want them to stay there because the stuff that that came out was in there all along and it somewhat weighs us down. Uh, and so that's certainly something you could do. There's lots and lots of different applications to nonlinear, but the first one is always moving what you're feeling because it's um, super valuable to do. Uh, um, I just I still do it every day and I have for many, many, many years. Uh, when I have time, I do formal practices that can last hours and hours and hours. But when I don't have much time, you know, often what I do is I wake up, I roll out of bed straight onto my hands and knees, and I start. Yes. And, um, you know, I do that for however long I have time so that I'm current. And then throughout the day, when I have time, like in the shower or very often on a plane, I'll do kind of a, you know, a seated version <laughs> and, and uh, make sure that my body doesn't get stuck with stuff. Uh, and so that's a, good, that's a good option. The thing to consider is that when you fidget, right, so when your body has to move for a reason or other, it's a sign of your energy system not running smoothly, Right. And there's reasons for that. So, for instance, the thing in when when I worked in the rehab, not that I'm saying that that's you, but when I worked in the rehab, that was a common thing that people had to stay mo moving all the time because they had all that excess irritation and tension that the body had to somewhat remove. Right. And that, you know, sometimes it's voluntary, but often it's involuntary. And of course, if you have a meeting or something and you're sitting with somebody in a, in a business meeting, in a proper business meeting, right, where, um, you know, you're sitting in a boardroom or something, you can't do that kind of stuff because people don't, don't respond very well to that. You know? So it's good to look at what's in your energy system that could be smoothed out. Uh, so it's a fairly common thing when you have things like Lyme disease that your nervous system just gets a bit shot, right? You have like a, yeah. it, it, it just messes with your system. So there's things you can do um, on all kinds of levels, right? There's nutritional things you can do where you're essentially calming your nervous system via nutrition, B vitamins, um, you know, like you have to, you know, I'm not a nutritionist, but there is things that can be done for the nervous system nutritionally. But from a um, energy standpoint, what you can do is you can smooth out your energetic output by allowing the body to resolve these things in an organized way. And so dancing, for instance, um, is a good way to do that where every day you run your body for a period of time. You decide that 10, 15 minutes a day so that the, the system becomes integrated again, meaning you move when you want to move. And then that allows you to be still when you want to be still. Because there's something very good about being able to harness your energy internally and not having to constantly throw it off because it's an it's a leak right that constant thing is leaking out available energy you know you'll probably have to find out optimal energy output for your system often this kind of thing that you talk about happens when people have a fast frontal cortex 
this is very technical, but um, and and there's certain things that calm that. Uh, one of the things is um, movement, right? That it pulls the energy back over the cortex. Uh, interestingly, the other thing is um, GABA, G-A-B-A. It's a supplement. It, yeah. So that's that's the other thing that some for some reason does it. But I I'd move. You know, I'm not a nutritionist, so you'll have to kind of inquire on that. But those are those are some of the things to do. Is is probably make sure that your you make your energy run smoothly versus it running itself. Well, the shaking that you're talking about is not exactly the shaking she's talking about, right? What you're talking about, well, it's not so much fear. Uh, it's actually a natural response of the body. So um, the body is built to function optimally, Right? And so um, one of the ways to function optimally as a human being is uh, fight or flight. Right? So meaning you are in a, some you know, cave, your ancestor is in some cave, and you hear rustling outside the cave uh, door, and uh, you, know, you're, you start gearing up. You're like, uh-oh, and your pulse starts going a bit faster, and you, know, you, you start having really intense hearing, and your vision kind of gets really sharp, and then some saber-toothed cat shows up on the doorstep. And your body goes into fight or flight. So in fight or flight, your entire system gets overridden to either attack or run. And that's fairly straightforward, right? So what, what that means is all your energy goes into kicking the cat's ass, so to speak, or running as fast as you can. In both instances, if you survive... The body has spent its its capital, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? And then you rest. Mm-hmm. You might have a moment of that shaking that you're experiencing, and that shaking is the nervous system setting itself, mm-hmm. right? So it, it's completely na- normal and natural, and it's actually nature's way of making sure shit doesn't get stuck in you. Right, so everybody's experienced that you get almost hit by a car, or so and then you, and then you a bit weepy and things like that, right? And eventually, if you don't clench and go, oh no, I shouldn't do this, or you know, or you pull it together and take yourself out of the way, if you don't do that, the body um, shakes out that intense adrenaline and everything via that shaking that you're experiencing. And then you are done. If you ever watch National Geographic, that's what a gazelle does if it gets away from the lion, right? It just stands there, and at some point you see the thing go, you know, and and it walks off. And the gazelle doesn't have to go to therapy afterwards, right? Gazelle doesn't lay on the therapist's couch and go, well, you know, that one time when the lion almost got me, I still, you know, every time I cross the savannah, I am not sh- sure, right? I mean, it doesn't have to do that. So, so when you have ongoing shaking, you can assume one of two things, right? One, like you maybe had this today, you have stuff stuck in there that now that you're not in a situation where you constantly had to override your fight and flight impulse, like AKA your marriage, you essentially willingly put yourself in a lion's den and hung out there, right? Now, I'm sure it wasn't all bad and blah, 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 but nonetheless, yeah, exactly. So, so um, instead of going, will it ever end? You have to go, thank you body for finally processing all this shit. Right, because that's what it is. Your body is going enough. We don't want it, and it needs to leave, and that's how it's leaving. There is a caveat, though, when you talk about tantric practice and things like that. If your nervous system is already overtaxed, and you're exposing yourself to things that in the body are too much. Right, you're pushing past the edge or on the edge of something. Mm-hmm. 
you are actually um, frying your system, mm -hmm. right? So you have to decide what's what, and you might have to, in the moments of, you know, in the months of the divorce or whatever, lay off intense practices so that your system can restore and recover and smooth out. Because if you lay fresh, you know, trauma, meaning fresh, intense experience over old intense experience, at some point the system breaks down. And yes, addressing it hormonally and balancing your adrenals and, you know, all of those things is really, really good. But nothing balances the adrenals like not fucking with the system. And that means, you know, not putting yourself into dangerous situations and not um, and resting right? and supplements and everything. Sometimes that's not what you want to do because you want to live life to the fullest. It's not exposing yourself to more things that, you know, mess with you and doing something like today where you allow the body to just shake it out, right? And yeah, it will come to an end when you have had enough time to get it out of your body. But what you're describing is the classic, you know, backlog of God knows how many years of coping plus the fresh thing with the divorce coming up and, right. and all of that. It's not a bad thing. It's a bit pesky, but it's actually, your body is actually saying, I'm functioning properly. You know, I was saying yesterday to Christina, wherever you go, there you are, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is, of course, you have to remove yourself from harm, right? So I just want to make that very clear. For some people, that means you have to remove yourself from harm. There's no way that you can work with the situation, within the situation, without compromising yourself to a point where something eventually goes wrong, right? And even if it's just, um, you know, what was just described with the aftermath, the, you know, years and years and years of coping, which fries the system somewhat and, and robs valuable time and energy. So that's one aspect, right? It's like, when do you stay? When do you go? Well, that's something I can tell you if you should stay or go. But you're saying you want to stay and make it work, right? So I'm assuming you've considered that somewhat. Um, you know? <laughs> so then the things to look at are um, what's yours, what's his, and what's the relationship dynamics. Because in, in a, in a long-term relationship, there's always three people. Right? There's you, there's him, and then there's the thing that is the dynamic of your particular relationship. And so one of the many ways that, you know, there's many, many, many theories. Attachment theory is, is now the newest fad thing that everybody's into. It's been around for God knows how many fucking years, but suddenly now, you know, everybody, now it's a big thing and it's like... Now? Why? Right? But that's just how it goes. Somebody brings it to the forefront and it's like, oh my God, right? Shadow work was the thing, you know, like a, a while back. And so in the 90s, yeah. So, you know, there's these, these things that come around. But so one of the many theories that you can employ is that... Well, yeah, I'll, I'll say that and then I'll say a few other things. So one of the many things that you can employ is that essentially you are attracted romantically to somebody who will fulfill your childhood patterns and assumptions, right? That's usually how it goes. So, um, you know, there's 50 people at a cocktail party. You will find that one person who fulfills those requirements and you will meet them and it will be like, oh my God, we must know each other from a past life. You're so familiar. Yes, it's your childhood. Right? But you don't know that because on the surface, that person doesn't display the exact traits 
that they will display a year or two in. Yes, not so much the one anymore. The one is a myth anyway, but that's a different story. Yeah, As demonstrated by... <laughs> you know the story about that the, the calling in the one, the book, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, you do know she got divorced yeah. from the one. Yeah. So yeah. now she's calling in the next one. Yeah. So, it's you know, the one in the moment. It's the one. So that should... <laughs> The one for right now, the, yes. So, you know, because of course the one, what does that mean, right? And the twin flame thing and the soulmate thing and the this and the that. And it's essentially all in the realm of myth because human beings are incredibly complicated and what you as a, a, a child um equate with love is the thing that you're going to seek out with that part of you now not with all parts of us because we all have you know we all have sub personalities so to speak not in the unhealthy way you know but in the in the way that certain parts of us are more formed than others and certain parts are a bit stunted while others have developed really well and stuff like that so because relationship and sex are not taught the way mathematics and and check balancing is taught to people right we often have fairly young parts in our relational sexual arena right then of course if you've done um, let's say drugs, lots of drugs or alcohol in your formative, you know, teenage years, you're a bit stunted because, you you know, it, it kind of stunts certain developments and stuff like that. So most of us have fairly young parts. So the young part goes, this is how I received love and attention. This is what love must be. So let's say your parents have always criticized you. And when, and, and, and the only way that you would get their full attention was when you did something wrong and they criticized you. You are going to only feel love in the form of criticism. Now, your adult brain knows that this is a bit fucked up, right? <laughs> and, and goes, I will find somebody who doesn't criticize me. And then, of course, three years in, that person criticizes you exactly the way you've been criticized from your parents, essentially, because you have a hole, so to speak, and that hole can be plugged only by the shape of that particular, you know. So that's, that's one working model. There's many, but that's one of them. So people always at that point are near suicidal and go, can it be fixed, right? <laughs> No, because you're not going to be romantically attracted to somebody who doesn't display that. <laughs> Imago is somewhat related to that, yes, yes. And Harold Hendricks has kind of a cure for it. Um, and that is definitely one option, right, um, where you work with it. And Imago therapy is actually very, very useful. Then you're going to be sitting in front of your therapist and you're like, He's just not exciting. <laughs> He's so reliable. I wish he'd be a bit more crazy, you know. Yes. <laughs> so there is no real way out in the sense that that's what you're built for. And yes, you can choose differently. And there's studies done, which are very interesting, that when people have arranged marriages, it takes them about 10 years till, you have till they have turned their partners into that. So you have to kind of know that that's, the, that's the, the thing. And what is the one is the one that fits that particular mold. And there's other things involved, but for, you know, for ease sake. So if you know that, and that's whom you're attracted to, and now you're in a relationship with this person, and now you're dealing with the shit that is your, is your persistent complaint, Right. What's one of your persistent complaints? Okay, good. So, so he doesn't find you sexy or he doesn't say you're sexy. Have you had that with other partners? Aha, yes. Okay, good. So he's kind and calm and so he's not the bad boy who... So, okay, good. So, yeah, well, that's how it goes. At, at least she knows what she's dealing with, right? So now you've stopped being sexy, of course. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, you don't give a shit anymore. You're like in your sweatpants. Your hair is back. Yeah, you, yeah. So of course, and now of course he's not thinking you're sexy because you're not sexy. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So this this leads straight into the cure, so to speak, right? Uh, for that, which is that, in a certain sense, you have to work within yourself on your own withhold, mm-hmm. right? So the the cure for most relational problems is generosity. Mm-hmm. I know it sucks. <laughs> You're going, fuck you, I'm not going to dress up for you because, you know, I'm not just not going to. It's your fault, right? And this is your classic, uh, you know, bite your nose off or cut your nose off in spite of your face situation because it's you who is suffering from not being sexy. But you're going to show him, right? So generosity is the cure for most of the evils that come in the, you know, in the clench of the two patterns mixing because it's like this right it's his pattern with your pattern because he has the reciprocal pattern right he's not worth a woman who makes an effort for him or whatever right and so knowing that you essentially have to go okay i know what his thing is and i know what my thing is and i'm now despite the fact that everything in me is a gigantic fuck you do the thing and give the thing and not to the point where you martyr yourself but within the healthy boundaries of you know an adult human being right but you give the very thing that you've been withholding and in that lies the medicine for both people because what you're doing is you are you are going around the entity of the relationship which is in a which is in a mexican standoff so to speak Right. So the, 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 the relationship itself is deadlocked and the cogs and wheels only turn within the system that the relationship has created. And so of, one of the things to go around that is generosity. So those are some of the things you can work with, you know, but really your, your really, really important skill here is to actively seek to give generosity towards yourself and him. This whole study is out now that the only relationships that make it, so to speak, right, because now with the high divorce rate and everything, there, there is lots of studies going, what the hell makes people actually make it happen? Number one thing is kindness and generosity towards the other. We want to be super, super careful you know, to not start with the with the finale. You don't go to the ends of the earth and then everything past that is a sliding back, mm-hmm. right? You slowly, like a slow cooker, create an atmosphere in which mutual giving can happen. Mm-hmm. And then within that mutual giving, once you have reached a certain, you know, boiling temperature, like a slow cooker or something, now you're, you, you're slowly boiling. Then you can have spikes mm-hmm. of interesting experiences of all kinds. But you want to raise the entire temperature throughout the day slowly so and throughout the week and throughout your life so it's sustainable because you can sustain that thing well it's not as it's not so much a setup as it's not sustainable right it might go really well of course he would like it but he but probably at this point in the relationship he wouldn't like it that much because it's overkill it's essentially killing a mosquito with an atom bomb he won't trust it. Exactly. Exactly. Now, over time, would that be the thing, right? Yes. But also the, where the setup comes in is that, of course, you don't want to do that all the time. So that's not what you lead with, unless you want to do that all the time. So the key is slow raising of the core temperature in a sustainable way where generosity isn't... Um, a spike that happens once and then it wanes, but something where all involved 
and you will notice very quickly that even your children and your partner, when you start being a bit, you know, and it's a tiny thing. It's, you know, walking by him into the kitchen and on the way back, bringing him a drink, right? Instead of going, fuck it, he can find his own drink, right? <laughs> it, it's, it's, because also it's, it's not, you don't need the, you know, there's no reciprocal action required. But something in him will go, oh, right? And that, huh, then opens the heart a bit more. And then that opens your heart a bit more. And then it opens his heart a bit more. And then you come out of that morass of the withhold. And then you have something to work with, right? So that's, a, that's an important thing. And in every long-term relationship, by the way, there is moments where you're just not that crazy about your partner. Mm-hmm. You know, and they can last a while. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing out of that is staying generous, right? Because people grow at different speeds and the relationship grows and there's, you know, things can happen. And in any long-term relationship, if you are in long enough, you know, sickness will happen. Um, accidents will happen. Business things will happen, you know, God forbid your children get sick or something like that. So you have to have a basis of real, um, you know, a, a baseline of goodness to survive. And, and that's definitely true, you know. Yes, and I would also say that, of course, you don't reward bad behavior, right? So we're talking about the fairly classic, there's children involved, it's the whole hum of a regular relationship, and everybody feels a bit, you know, done by the, the, the lack of the, the general thing. That's not to say that if somebody consistently doesn't display the kind of care and concern for you that you should expect as a human being, you don't give to that. On the contrary, you actually only give when the behavior is appropriate. Yeah, that's an important distinction also what you were saying. If you give, 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 and nothing comes back, well, that's something that you want to consider. Yeah, well, but that's a therapeutic issue. You need to haul his ass to a therapist, right? Well, then you have to just set him down and say, if the critical thing doesn't stop, it's not going to work, right? Um, because you have to remember that the reason he's critical is because he can be. Yeah, probably he was criticized by his parents. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so his, his conditioning is such. So you have two options. You can either understand that, he, that that's his love language, right? Or you can tell him that that's a deal breaker. It's fairly, it's fairly simple, right? The thing to do is that the moment he criticizes you, you take your attention away from him. So you don't reward his behavior if you have really spelled it out, right? If he understands it and he goes, well, that's just the way I am. Well, you have to take your attention away, but also you have to just at some point go, well, if that's who he is and he's not going to change, maybe this isn't the person I want to be with, right? It's a long-term exploration. Because the thing is, if if... You know, something in you is going with that, right? And you say, don't criticize me, and he criticizes you, but there's no repercussion to his action, none whatsoever, right? You're not going, criticize me one more time, and you will eat a can of beans by yourself, right? You don't do that. So your demand has no teeth. You're going, don't always criticize me. And then he criticizes you and you're like, okay, you know. <laughs> so, so, so there has to be consequence to action. If there isn't consequence to action, you, why would he change, right? And that's not that you scream or shout. You just take your attention, maybe your body, meaning physically, away. Mm-hmm. And when he goes, what's the matter? You'll say, look, 
I've told you 15 times that when you criticize me, when I do something for you, I'm not very compelled to do that anymore. So either you understand that I need some praise before you say what's wrong, right? Here in, in America, they call it a shit sandwich. <laughs> you know what a shit sandwich is, right? A shit sandwich is something like, um, first of all, thank you for making the time to be here. I really appreciate all your hard work. And you really fucked this one up. And thank you for taking my constructive feedback. That's the shit sandwich. You put your criticism in between two nice things, right? So, so if you can't learn any of these things, then you have to essentially remove yourself from that activity. And when he goes, well, why don't we do da-da-da anymore? And you'll go, well, because every time I do da-da-da, you criticize me. So clearly, I don't want to do it anymore. But it takes two to tango. And if your, if, if your demand doesn't have teeth, there's no reason why he should fulfill it. Because, as she says very rightly, it's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing in many cultures where essentially... Um, it's not considered, I don't know, the right thing to be nice to somebody because then they get complacent, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, should you be generous? Well, it depends, right? So uh, perhaps there is something in the way the things are executed that doesn't work for him. Right? That's something to consider. I'm not saying that's true, but let's just say, trying to come up with an example. Well, I mean, simple example, right? So, so I like my tea a very specific way. And it has to be steeped just the right way and has to be just the right amount of cream in it. If it's too hot, I won't drink it. If it's too cool, I won't drink it. And if there's too little or too much cream into it, I won't drink it, right? So if you want to make me a cup of tea that I enjoy, you will have to learn how to make that the tea the way um, I like it, right? I'm, I'm an avid tea drinker. I drink shitloads. Uh, you know, I like it a certain way. So if you come with the cup and you go, here's your tea, I will go, oh, thank you. And then I might not say it out loud, but if this is an ongoing thing, I'll go, cream, you know, or there's too much cream in it, right? And then you go, okay. And then if you bring me the exact same cream, uh, you know, cream amount again and again and again and expect me to be grateful for the shitty cup of tea you bring me, at some point, I'm not going to be that happy, right? So I probably I'll go and make my own tea, and then you'll go, well, you know, I used to make you your tea, and you no longer want me to make your tea, and then it becomes that whole thing. So, so you have to also consider, are there things that he wants a certain way so that his system is smooth? And that's a very important piece, because sometimes people need certain things so they're not you know, like this. And I have lots of those. My my nervous system is super, super finely tuned, right? So I like my shit arranged in a very specific way so my system can rest, right? So hence I arrange it myself when I'm in the office, for instance, right? I need things a specific way so that my attention isn't drawn. Yeah. So... I'm not expecting anybody else to do that. But my cleaner, when she comes and dusts my desk, had to learn to put the shit back where she found it. Mm -hmm. Right? Because it drives me nuts when I have to rearrange everything before I can start working. Now, is that a bit OCD? Absolutely. Does it work for me? Yes, because I'm super, super productive. And that's the way I like it. Right? Mm -hmm. So that said is... Maybe you have to feel what would calm his nervous system. 
Right? So maybe he's that critical and high strung because his nervous system is somewhat off. But on the other hand, it's not really your responsibility to soothe him so that he isn't critical. So it's both of those things at the same time, right? You do what you can from a generosity standpoint, and you have him take responsibility for the rest. So there's, you know, there's no clean, clean answer here. You have to, it's very complicated. I would have to see you both. I would have to hear you both. I'd have to see the relationship dynamics to make a clear call on that. But these are some things to consider, right? But one of the things that is certainly always appropriate when somebody displays behavior that you are not okay with, remove yourself from the situation. Things go wrong. Yeah. And certainly they can go very wrong when you were conditioned from a young age on to be to look a certain way, right? And to behave a certain way. Then then this happens to many women, then and and if there's certain criticism or a certain perfectionism, then uh, the whole being tries to conform to that. You don't have tools because we don't give people tools for relationship. Uh, everybody knows how to, you know, do math and everybody knows how to, you know, drive a car, but you don't get driver's ed before you go and get married, right? So, and, and you know, in the Catholic Church, they make you take um, uh, marriage, kind of marriage lessons from your local priest. Yes. Yes, because nobody knows nobody knows better about relationship than your local priest. Yes. Yes, we all have our areas, right? But no, of course, this doesn't apply to children at all. Everything we're talking here does not apply to children because when you have a child, you essentially commit yourself body and soul to forever, right? But at least till they are capable of making their own decisions and living their own lives ideally responsibly right <laughs> and 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 of course when you have a child to, towards your child you better be the adult yeah. right and not everybody is and hence we you know have people who are rather fucked up from their childhoods but in an ideal world if you have a child, you should be able to keep your shit together around your child. You can, you know, do all kinds of stupid shit in your relationship if you so choose. But, you know, when it comes to your child, somebody's got to be the adult and it's not your kid. Okay. Right. And, um, and that requires, of course, uh, proper boundary setting, uh, a good wisdom function, right, uh, an ability to... Uh, conduct yourself in a way that it, that your children don't have to carry the burden of who you are. No, they're your children. They're not going to be like an adult, right? That is why you are the adult. You can't expect your five-year-old to behave like an adult until they're adult. It depends on the child, I would say. It's a developmental thing, but in an ideal world, how you raise a child is in the beginning you make all the decisions for them because they can't make the decisions. And then over time, you give them more and more education so they're capable of making good decisions for themselves. And and so it's like very tightly held and then less and less and less and less held. But of course, you have to monitor are they able to make good decisions? And if they're not, you have to tighten the reins again mm. till they do, right? But, you know, these are not things that I can speak with, can speak of with authority. I don't have children. And so that's why I'm going to keep my mouth shut from here on out, right? I can only tell you what I just said from the way my parents raised me, which was very strict, very, very, very strict. But within the really, really hardcore boundaries I had, I had total freedom. Right. I, because there was a certain kind of a fence that made it so I could run free in, in, within the fence. But there's many ways to raise children. But one thing I can tell you with, with certainty, you must be the adult in the relationship. Right? Because people who have come into my office... 
oh, you don't want to give you you don't you don't want your five year old to have to be responsible for you, you know, and you see that and it's horrible. I know I know what you're trying to say, but I have very bad news for you. <laughs> no, horrible things will happen. Right? Horrible things will happen. Things that are so horrible that you think you're not going to live. Because that's what life is. The best thing you can do is not deny that experience, right? Because horrible things have happened and horrible things will happen again. And I'm not saying this lightly because I had some rather horrible things happen fairly recently, right? So horrible things happen. What makes them bearable are two things. Well, many things, but two big things that make it bearable. Your ability to meet them is the first thing, right? So one thing we know about you is you have lived, <laughs> right? And not only have you lived, you have thrived. So what you... What you can know with certainty is that you are probably better equipped for the horrible things than other people, right? So you breathe through it and all of that, but the mental, the mental disposition is one of, I'm a pro at this. If shit goes down, you want me there. That, that needs to be your attitude, right? I am... You know, I know how to do it. I'm not going to lose my shit. I have resource. My nervous system isn't going to completely fry the moment the first boo-boo appears. So I'm actually the one you want to be in a trench with. And you can take some pride in that and calm yourself by the knowledge that when shit happens, you are right and ready. Right? So that's that's the one thing that that when you mentally and emotionally and physically consider makes you able to actually be okay, right? Because you have been okay over and over and over and over. You've been okay. So within that, you can then go, well, bad things might happen, but you know what? Um, not only am I equipped, I'm ready to go at it. Right. So your disposition is one of <laughs> right. So, so and, and what that does is it strengthens your system to the point where you don't have to constantly be vigilant because you know that should something happen, you are actually there. You know, you're actually equipped, and that over time makes it so you don't have to be so anxious about it. Uh, but the denial of the reality that shit could go down is useless because your body goes, don't kid me, <laughs> right? If you are denying the existence of shit happening, I'm going to have to be extra vigilant, mm -hmm. right? And so you have this constant radar of, you know, the beep, beep, to, to make sure that you're not missing anything. And so the training of your system is one that you go, I'm equipped, I'm ready, I'm ready to deploy. Do I like it? No. Can I deal with it? Yes, I have so far. And so I'm just going to mind my own business till something happens and then, then I'll step up. And when you do that, the resistance in your system to the thing that could potentially happen decreases and you have more energy available. Because essentially you're going, oh my God, any moment now, you know, and that the holding on makes it so that the energy isn't actually available for something else. So it, it's, it's probably just a slight tilt in the way you speak to yourself and in the way you face the thing, Right. And then when you know that you can meet it, you don't have to be so vigilant. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Yeah. And and that feeling of oh shit moves through the body as as grief and as fear is perfectly fine because that's that's what smooths out the system so you're ready to go when needed. The knowledge that as a human you can be transgressed upon by other humans because this is not it's not I, I don't want to say as a woman because it happens to men almost as much right it's just way less discussed and way more stigmatized even right but as a human horrible people can do horrible things to you and amongst the most horrible things anyone can do to you is sexually transgress upon you it's it's just you know it's it's in the in the real shit category right so the knowledge of that is is theoretical for most people not as many people as you think because there's a lot of that right but it's theoretical for some people and it's not theoretical for other people and so in your system you have awakened to to the to the shitness of life so to speak way earlier than you should have and that has a has an imprint in your nervous system right and the imprint is specifically i'm not safe and if um i you know essentially show myself in any which way things can happen you know now of course the thing that is a bit tricky is that when how old were you so at that age right it wasn't that you showed anything that made anything happen of course you were told that by the person because that's the kind of shit people like that do right so the disconnect is not in going nothing can happen to me i can show my body sexually on the street which is not true sorry right i know we all want to have the the freedom to dress as skimpily as we want and be safe but you're not even if you're safe physically you're not safe from the psychic penetration and the stares and the you know whatever that i mean even even if nobody touches you if you display a certain way a certain kind of attention is drawn to you that if you're sensitive causes disturbance in your system right so there is no way around that so it's not safe to show certain things on the street uh, and i certainly wouldn't recommend to you particularly to do that because that's like you know picking a scab every time you leave the house and that's not something to aspire to i think right <laughs> Yeah, would it be nice if you could be carefree? Absolutely. But, you know, yeah, not this lifetime, you know. Maybe later, but not at this particular moment in this lifetime. That shouldn't be the goal. The goal should be to understand that your behavior wasn't what caused anything and certainly the display, the bodily display of a 3-year-old in a normal human being doesn't have any of such reactions right if your life would have gone differently uh, you running around uh, even naked as a 3-year-old would have been considered cute right yeah. but sadly that's not how it played out and sadly there's nothing we can do about that what we can do is take the responsibility away from you that that's the thing that you can learn how to go this was shit right this was absolutely shit it wasn't my fault right and i am refusing to be at fault for things that are not my fault and therein lies a certain safety because you can go and learn proper boundary function right because one of the things that happens with sexual transgression is your boundaries are violated and they're permanently violated and so how you reclaim those parts of you including the safety to move in this room as you please is by going 
I am an adult and I am capable of setting a boundary. And I set the boundary wherever the fuck I want to set the boundary. Right? And nobody sets a boundary for me but me. So the the key in the recovery is the boundary setting, you know. Not ever saying yes to something that's a no. Ever. Even if somebody in here says you want a cookie and you actually don't feel or you want to share a cookie, you actually don't feel like sharing a cookie, but your knee jerk is to go, sure, and then you're stuck with half a cookie, right? Mm. So it's so a simple thing, right? You, so you train yourself on a minute level, like things where it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to hate you because you didn't want that cookie, <laughs> right? So you start saying no anywhere you can, everywhere you can, I should say, till your mu- no muscle is so strong that there's no doubt that when in doubt you can set a proper boundary. And with that comes internal safety because you're not relying on somebody else to hold you safe because they don't, right? Not everybody does. Some people do. And then, but also in the, in the learning of the boundaries, you can distinguish between people who can hold you safe versus people who can't hold you safe, right? So it's all about the boundary function. It's all about... Um, seeking out like a like a like a connoisseur of the no, any situation where you can assert your yeses and your noes. You're probably aware that you can't actually say yes till you can say no, right? That's that's one of those things. So anywhere you can set a no in the tiny little things. Paper or plastic, they no longer do that in California, but it used to be paper or plastic, right? You go paper and they give you plastic. You go, excuse me, I wanted paper. You make the person, you know, like it's like those little things where you, where you take back sovereignty, right, of your ability, of your proper healthy boundary function. And when you do that, what happens is the... the the uh, safety becomes internal, right? And, and nobody can take that from you. And then your decisions are not based on, a, oh, I should be able to, but I choose to. <laughs>